Well, hey, City Life Church, thanks for joining us wherever you are, being online with us. We appreciate you jumping in. We just want to start by saying happy anniversary to the chicken patties. If you don't know why that's funny, then you can go to my Facebook page and uh, be a part of our laughter. Uh, No, seriously, Chuck and Penny Jordan, it's their uh, anniversary today. So if you're watching online, if you could just give them a shout out in the chat. They serve this congregation so faithfully as elders and in so many other ways. And not just, if you know Chuck and Penny, they don't just serve this church, they serve this region. And uh, so thank you, Chuck and Penny, for who you are and the salt and the light that you are in the world. I, I couldn't help but think that during the worship set, you know, just because we're not meeting in person, it doesn't mean the prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit is silent. And so I just, I had this image in my head as we were worshiping that uh, some of our most trusted prophetic voices in our church, I think about Nathaniel and Shandy Miller, I think about Celeste Agate, I think about Sharon Thomas, that, that, that whether or not they hopped in their car and were racing here to the church to try to get their prophetic word in, rushing in, maybe a few of them got speeding tickets on the way, we might have to set up a police escort with uh, Officer Alvin Tatum in Hampton uh, so that they can get here on time. So seriously, if if God speaks to you, just because you're not here doesn't mean you shouldn't say it. Just because you're not here doesn't mean you don't have a responsibility to say it. So if God drops something in your heart that you believe is for people to share, record yourself on your phone, post it on Facebook, tag the church so that we can hear what God is saying to you. Just a reminder again, if Uh, You don't have communion elements gathered. You want to get those. Uh, My creative choice would not be uh, cinnamon rolls and and Coke. It would, I think it's going to be hush puppies and sweet tea. I'm just saying. If I had had, uh, my my choice there for some creative communion. So just get some elements and then at the end of the service, Pastor Justin's going to walk us through uh, communion together. All right, settle in. I'm going to be on vacation for the next two weeks, so I have a lot to say. Settle in, settle in. Hey, when's the last time someone said to you or you said to someone else, hey, did you do that on purpose? Right? We understand what that phrase is. If you are a parent, you probably said it every time, every day this week. When your child does something, you're, 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 you're trying to discern and understand, was, was that act, was that behavior, was that choice, what was it, what was it on purpose or was it by mistake? One of my favorite stories that I tell on myself, I haven't told it for several years, was that when I was early elementary school, my mom was on the phone. You know, back in, in, in my days, in the days of the dinosaurs, that if you were talking on the phone, you were tethered to something, right? How many of you are old in the chat uh, type, type tethered to my phone? or the phone cord, and, and then technology took over, and you could buy, now you couldn't order it online because that wasn't real, you had to go to the store, you had to go to like Sears or Kmart, and you could buy this crazy long phone cord that you could walk around through your house. Now, we didn't have one of those, we had a, one of our main phones was a phone that's, uh, my mom still lives in the house that I grew up in, that phone is still there. It's mounted in the wall, it has a retractable cord that goes in and out of the wall, so she didn't have a very long distances she could go. And I remember her talking to somebody and I wanted her attention and she would not get off the phone. Now, I cannot remember what I wanted her attention for, but I remember going to her and tugging at her and calling her and she said, you know, wait, you gotta wait, you gotta wait, you gotta wait. And so I got frustrated and so I, 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 I said, I gotta think of something that I could threaten her with. 
that would cause her to get off the phone. And so as a child, I had this brilliant idea. I went into our hallway bathroom and got the plastic trash can that we kept in there. And I brought it to her and said, I, this is a true story. I said, if you don't get off the phone, I am going to pee in this trash can. So she had a look on her face that you would expect to see on a mother's face. And it was basically, if you do that, right? But moms have this expression, if you do that, it will be the end of your life. And, uh, and so she did not get off the phone. And so me, being a person of integrity, even as a young child, I was true to my word. And so I went back into the hallway bathroom, peed in the trash can, and brought it to her as an offering. Now, she got off the phone then. But it wasn't with the same result that I had hoped for. You, usually my dad did the spanking in our home. And, uh, and mom, I would get to go to your room until your dad uh, gets home. I got lots of spankings that day from both my mother and my father in turn when he came home as well. Let, let, me, let, me, sh- let me share this thought with you. While I never want my missteps to be on purpose... May it be that the life I live will never be by mistake. Let me share that again. While I never want my missteps to be on purpose. See, as a, as a child, my mother did not have to ask me the question, did you do that on purpose? Because I had stated my intentions and I had the evidence of the result that I had followed through. There was no doubt as to whether or not it was a mistake. It was on purpose. But when we think about our lives, it actually is the opposite. I never want my missteps to be on purpose, but may it be that the life I live will never be by mistake. My question that I'm asking you tonight is, are you living your life on purpose? Are you intentionally pursuing God's destiny for your life? Now, I'm preaching to everybody tonight, but I'm especially preaching to our young people. I'm especially talking to our teenagers. I'm especially talking to our young adults and our young professionals. If you have a teenager, if you know a teenager, if, you've got, you know, if you're an empty nester, send, you're going to want to send this message to them. We, we want the next generation to adopt a mindset and a mentality that they're going to live life on purpose with intentionality. Now, you've heard this said many times before, but we're going to keep saying it here at City Life. God has a plan for your life, young person. He has a plan for you. You're you're here in this world because he created you for a purpose. You're you're not just part of humanity that has a purpose. You, You, as an individual, have purpose. Is there a collective purpose that moves with mankind and nations? Absolutely there is, but there is also a purpose that moves with every individual that's custom made just for you. Listen to these verses. Acts 13, 36 reads this way. This is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and was buried with his ancestors and his body Decayed. I love this verse. It's talking about other things, but in it, there is an incredible principle. After David had done the will of God for his own generation, God has a will for you in your generation. There is a purpose that you're supposed to live out in your generation. Colossians 1.16, for through him God created 
everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things that we can see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. And you know what that includes? It includes your purpose. It includes your destiny. Everything was created by God. That includes you and the divine purpose that you were created to fulfill. It was created through Christ, and it's for him, ultimately for his glory. Now, we can't talk about divine purpose and not read Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. Come on, somebody type masterpiece in the chat. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. God has a purpose for you. If you've been around our church for the last several months, you've heard me say that I want God's story to be my history. That's the cry of my heart in the season that I'm in as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor. And it's the cry of my heart for this church, that city life, that, 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 that God's story is going to be our history. But tonight, especially for you, young people, I want God's story to be the history that you live out. And I guarantee you that your history is going to be fulfilled only if you choose to live on purpose, with intentionality. 1 Corinthians 16. Now, I'm not going to read all of this for the sake of time, but if you're a note taker, again, you can always get these notes online. They post the following week. There's a PDF that we always put out there. But out of 1 Corinthians 16, 5 to 24, I want to focus in on verse 9. Listen to this verse. This is Paul talking. There is a wide open door... For a great work here, although many oppose me. There is a wide open door for a great work here. That is true for each of our lives. There are moments where we come to, I'm calling them moments of purpose, that represents a wide open door for the great work that God has called us to live. And if you were to read all throughout 1 Corinthians 16, you would find, noted in here, people like Paul and Timothy and Apollos and Stephanus and Aquila and Priscilla, all of these people, you cannot read this chapter in the Bible and not come to the conclusion that they are living their lives on purpose with great intentionality. Seeking, listen to me, seeking the wide open door for the great work that God has for them. Destiny is not just a moment in our lives. Destiny is not just a single event. It's, it's not even a, a specific life role that we find ourselves in, in one season or another. I believe that destiny is a compilation of purpose moments. I believe there's all kinds of purpose moments that God wants us to step into. And it's all of those things together that form our destiny. And may it be said of us, like David, as we read in the Psalms, that at the end of our days, that we had fulfilled our destiny in our generation. Because we didn't miss the open doors of purpose moments when they came. Tonight I'm going to share with you a story about a man by the name of Julius our series that we're in this entire summer is Protagonists Anonymous, that even though these people are names that we do not know, even though they are, 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 are minor roles, there are major lessons to be learned through them. 
And in his life, we're going to see that he demonstrates four disciplines that are given to us right here in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Many of you are familiar with these four disciplines, these four commands. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. Be on guard, stand firm in the faith, be courageous and be strong. I'm going to show you tonight as we look at Acts 27 and 28 that the life of Julius demonstrates for us all four of these disciplines and how these disciplines enable us to walk through the wide open doors of the great works that God has called us to. Now just to give you a little background, again, we'd have to be here for hours and hours on end to read through all of these texts. So let me just give you a snapshot, and I hope that if you're not familiar with this story, that maybe you'll put some time in this weekend or this week to learn more about it. It's an incredible story. And Acts 21 is really where it begins, as is, is Paul's already been on his first his, his three missionary journeys, and, and, and he's, he's gone to Jerusalem, and he's been arrested. Acts 22, we see that Paul preaches to an angry mob. Acts 23, we see Paul appears before the Jewish high council. Acts 24, we see Paul appears before Felix, who is the local governor, the the Roman governor that's over that region. And then in Acts 25, we see that he appears before Festus. Now, he's, it was an election year, right? And so Rome had appointed a new governor. Uh, Felix's term was up, and so Festus was coming in. So then he had to appear before Festus. And then the king, the Jewish king, who's King Agrippa, right? There's a Roman governor, but Rome would also appoint a, a Jewish king that had some measure of authority. Now, they were subservient to Rome, but they still had authority over their own people, So in Acts 25 and 26, we see Paul presents his case to the new governor, Festus, and also the Jewish king, King Agrippa. And it was during all of these trials, it was during his arrest, that Paul had said, I want my case to be heard in Rome. Now, Now, Paul is Jewish, but he is also a Roman citizen. And if you're a Roman citizen, you have the right to appeal to Rome. And because Paul appealed to Rome, he was going to be taken there to present his case. Acts 27 and 28 give us not just the final two chapters of the book of Acts, but it gives us the journey of Paul from Jerusalem to Rome. And here we find a gentleman by the name of Julius introduced to us. Acts 27, beginning in verse 1. When the time came, come on, that's a hint for us. A wide open door. When the time came, we set sail for Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius. He was a captain of the Imperial Regiment, which means that, that one of his primary functions, he functioned like a, like a, a U.S. Marshal, that, that he, would, he would be the escort for prisoners to and from places of imprisonment and trial. Aristarchus of Macedonia from Thessalonica was also with us, and we left on a ship whose home port was, I'm not even going to try that one, on the northwest coast of the province of Asia. It was scheduled to make several stops at ports along the coast of the province. Verse 3, I'm going to go down to 6. 
The next day when we docked at Sidon, Julius was very kind to Paul. We're going to come back to that. This is one of the four disciplines. Julius was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with friends so they could provide for his needs. Putting out to sea from there, we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. So we sailed north of Cyprus between the island and the mainland. Keeping to the open sea, we passed along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, landing at Myra, the province of Lycia. And there the commanding officer found an Egyptian ship from Alexandria that was bound for Italy, and he put us on board. Now let's jump down to verse 18. We're just going to do pockets of this, just again for the sake of time. The next day, as gale force winds, this is like a typhoon, continued to batter the ship, the crew began throwing cargo overboard. The following day, they even took some of the ship's gear and threw it overboard. The terrible storm raged for many days. Listen to what it says, blotting out the sun and the stars until at last all hope was gone. Pitch dark, ancient times, on the seas, no modern navigation equipment, and they're trapped in this typhoon, a hurricane on the water. Jumping down to verse 27. Listen, listen, listen to this. About midnight, on the 14th day, 14 days in a hurricane on the Mediterranean Sea, 14th day, on the 14th night of the storm, as we were being driven across the Sea of Adria, the sailors sensed land was near. Jumping to verse 30. The sailors tried to abandon ship. They lowered a lifeboat as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officer, that's Julius, and the soldiers, you will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboat and they let it drift away. And just as day was dawning, Paul urged everyone to eat. You've been so worried that you haven't touched food for weeks. He said, please eat something now for your own good, for not a hair on your head's will perish. You following the story? Paul is a prisoner on this ship, and he's become the captain of this boat, giving instruction, prophesying about what will happen, and everybody at this point in the story is following his lead. Then he took some bread and gave thanks to God before them all, as we will do in a few moments together. Okay, not a few moments, a lot of moments. And broke off a piece of it and ate it. Then everyone was encouraged and began to eat. Listen to what it says. All 276 of us who were on board, after eating the crew, lightened the ship further by throwing cargo of wheat overboard. Verses 42 to 44, and then we're going to jump into our four disciplines. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Why would they want to do that? It's because if you were a Roman soldier and you failed in your duty, the punishment was death. But the commanding officer, that's Julius, wanted to spare Paul, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. Right? This one man stands between all of these soldiers with swords drawn and will not let them pass. It says the others held on to planks or debris from the broken ship. Listen to what it says. So everyone, everyone right? How many? How many did it say? 200, 276 souls on board. Everyone escaped safely to shore. Now that's our story. Now let's jump into it a piece at a time and look at these four disciplines played out that we find in 
1 Corinthians 16. The first one is this, be on guard. Be on guard. This, this phrase, be on guard, in the Greek, we find it used also in Revelation, 2, Revelation 3, 2 to 3. This is when John was writing prophetically to the church of Sardis. He says, wake up! It's the same phrase, be on guard. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. Listen to what it says. If you don't wake up, if you're not on guard... John writes in the book of Revelation, I will come suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Be on guard. It means to watch. It means to be cautious. It means to wake up. The first discipline to living life on purpose, listen to me young people, the first discipline to living life on purpose is being on guard with whatever task you have been given today. Your job, your chores, your homework, your volunteerism. Be faithful in all things because you never know when you are stepping up to a wide open door of purpose for the great work that God has for you in your generation. Julius woke up that day. He had no idea what was coming to him. In fact, the assignment that he was given, what I love about this story, is that it's absolutely ordinary. It was his job. It was the same work that he did day in and day out and day in and day out over and over and over again. You see, I believe one of the reasons why we miss so many of the wide open purpose doors for our lives is because we have been conditioned to believe that if it is a moment of purpose that is connected to our destiny, that it always has to be supernatural, dramatical, Dramatical is not even a word, is it? I'm making it up. That's what preachers do. Dramatic and mystical. And I love those stories in the Bible. I love the stories where, where the heavens open when an angel comes down and people are afraid and the angel has to say, fear not. I love all of the moments where God takes the supernatural and deposits in this natural world so that we can understand that a moment of destiny is before us. But you see, if those are the only stories that we're taught, if those are the only stories that we pay attention to, then we miss many of the open doors of purpose that God has for us. Because for everyone that is supernatural and mystical and dramatic, there is also one that is ordinary. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be watchful in the everyday, ordinary tasks that we have, especially if you're young, because when you're young, so much of the responsibility that's given to you seems perfunctory and ordinary, like the chores around your house. What I would say is approach that task and be on guard. It could be a wide open door that's waiting for you. I love Acts 23, 11. It says, that night, the Lord appeared to Paul. See, this is, this is a dramatic moment. The Lord himself appeared to Paul. Again, we know he appeared on the road to Damascus. He appears again. 
He says, be encouraged, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. Paul knew that this journey was a part of his purpose and was going to be connected to his destiny. I love how we see destinies interconnected throughout Scripture. I love how we see purpose interconnected. See, you being faithful in your purpose oftentimes is a huge part of someone else being able to fulfill their purpose. But I believe that even in these moments that are ordinary, even in these moments that seem as though they don't matter, that God is willing to give us a glimpse to let us know that something significant is taking place. Listen to Acts 28. I'm going to give you all 10 verses. Acts 28, 1 through 10. Since once we were safe for sure, we learned that we were on the island of Malta, and the people of the island were very kind to us. It was cold and rainy, and so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. And as Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake was driven out by the heat. And it bit him on the hand, and the people of the island saw it hanging off his hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, right? Because they believe that if bad things happen to you, it must be punishment, Listen to what they said. Though he escaped the sea, justice will not permit him to live. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. The people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw that he wasn't harmed, they changed their minds and decided he was a god. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. And as it happened, Publius's father was ill with a fever and dysentery, and Paul went in and prayed for him, and laying his hands on him, healed him. And then all of the other sick people on the island came. All of the other sick people on the island came and were healed. And as a result, were showered with honors. And when time came to sail, people supplied us with everything that we would need. See, I think that Julius is beginning to understand something. See, see, he, he started his day with just being assigned to this prisoner. Many days, la- many days later, this prisoner that he is assigned to has prophetically foretold things that were going to happen on that ship, prophetically gave them all the steps that they needed to do for them to survive. Now he has survived the bite of a poisonous snake that no one should ever survive. Now he's healed every sick person on an island. See, I think this is this moment where Julius is beginning to realize there is significance to this man, and part of my purpose in life is connected to him. See, I believe that when we're on guard and when we're faithful in every moment, we position ourselves, listen to me, we position ourselves to not pull back from the task too quickly before we get to the place of revelation of significance. Be on guard. Number two, stand firm in the faith. Stand firm in the faith. Firm means persevere. It means to persist. It means to endure. I remember years ago when I was an avid swimmer in my more youthful days that I would swim at this pool at a gym where we had a membership and there was an older gentleman there who was not in as good a shape as me. He was a friend of mine and he would swim more than twice as far as me every time. 
I would swim just under a half mile, and he would swim well over a mile. And I remember walking up to him one day. We went to church together, and I said, Garrett, how, how do you swim so far? How, how is it that you were able to swim over a mile when you exercise? And he paused for a moment, and he said this, I just don't stop. I just don't stop. The next time I got in the pool, I didn't stop, and I swam over a mile for the first time that day. See, that's what this idea of stand firm means. It means that you just don't stop. You don't give in. You persist. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't just say stand firm. He says, I want you to stand firm in the faith. See, one of the problems that we have in society right now is that we've got all kinds of people standing firm, but they're standing firm in the wrong things. Myself included, right? This is part of our message a couple of weeks ago in conflict. We have to be willing to be open to the possibility that the firm stand that we're taking might be the wrong one. That's what helps us to walk together in disagreement instead of standing in conflict. Paul says, stand firm, what? In the faith. Not just in Jesus, but in all the truth that comes with him. But you better believe it starts with him. See, your faith in someone must always be bigger than your hope in something. Let me say that again. Your faith in someone must always be bigger than your hope in something. You can have a hope that you have a purpose. You can have a hope maybe that you're in a purpose moment. But just as we read about this idea of a, a wide open door in front of us, Paul himself says that those moments are often accompanied with opposition. And if you only bring to that moment hope in your purpose and hope in your destiny, when the opposition, opposition comes, eventually you're going to shrink back. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. But when you have faith in the someone who's given you the promise of something, even when opposition presses against you that makes you feel overwhelmed because you have faith in him, your hope will not fail. Let me just contrast a couple of verses for you here. Acts 27, Acts 27, 10 and 11. Acts 27, 10 and 11. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble. Now this is early on in their journey where the weather first started getting bad and the Holy Spirit begins to speak to Paul about what's to come. Men, he said, I believe there is trouble ahead if we go on. Shipwreck, loss of cargo, danger to our lives as well. Long before, right? Long before. But the officer in charge, this is Julius, officer in charge of the prisoners, listen more to the ship's captain and the owner then to Paul. Now let's contrast that. We read all the other things that have happened. Now we're at verse 42. We came back. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape, but the commanding officer wanted to spare Paul so he didn't let them carry out their plan. And then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and to make for land. You see, there was a shift. Yeah, there was a shift. See, they're on this ship, and Julius is in charge, and Paul is just a prisoner, and the voices of influence, the voices of authority are influencing Julius in the decisions that he makes. But as time goes on, and he begins to see the fruit of Paul's character, he begins to see the power of God at work in Paul's life, all of a sudden Julius shifts, listen to me, Julius shifts from allowing the influence to come from the secular to the spiritual. He, he makes a turn. 
And now all of a sudden, he, even though is the person of authority, is taking direction and being influenced by the person over whom he has authority. Talking to you young people tonight, some of you are in a relationship with God that looks more like verses 10 and 11 than 42 to 44. Some of you are in a relationship with God that looks more like verses 10 and 11 than it does verses 42 to 44. Meaning that you're letting the voices of secular society and people that you should not be trusting influence and affirm your choices in your lifestyle as opposed to looking to people who have the fruit of the character of Christ, who have the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated in their life. You might not like the advice that they're giving to you, but at some point you've got to say, who is going to influence me? And are you going to be a verses 10 and 11 person, or are you going to be a verses 42 and 44? And not just with people, but of God himself, of this book. Are you going to let this book be a voice of authority in your life? Or not. See, the second discipline to living life on purpose is standing firm, standing firm in the faith. Listen to me that God knows what's best for you. See, that's what turned for Julius. At some point, he realized Paul knew best. You, you got to make a decision in your relationship with God. You, you, you've, it starts there. Does he know what's best for me? Because if you say yes to that, then yielding your life to every boundary that's in this book no longer becomes a chain or a bar of imprisonment. It becomes the doorway to perfect liberty. See, he sees your entire future. And the boundaries in this book are for your good and for your destiny fulfilled. You have to decide who you're going to listen to, young people. Number three, be courageous. You see, it's playing out, right? These four disciplines, as we see them through the life of Julius, kept him in the moment of purpose for a destiny fulfilled. Be courageous. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be courageous. In in the Greek, I, I kid you not, it literally means, it was the saying of the day, act like a man. Act like a man. If it was... Translated literally, that's the words that would be there in verse 13 in 1 Corinthians 16. It would, it would be be on guard, stand firm in the faith, and act like a man. The connotation is that it is bravery in action. Not, not, not just a feeling of courage on the inside, but a feeling of courage that prompts action. That prompts action. See, as I was studying for this message and writing this message this week, I wanted to use the moment where Julia stands in between those soldiers and protects all the prisoners. I thought, surely this must be the moment of courage. And so I had that in my notes, and I just I felt this pushback from the Holy Spirit to say, that's not the moment of courage in the story. You ever have one of these arguments with the Holy Spirit where you're like, ah, I'm pretty sure it is. He's like, I wrote it. Are you going to listen to me or not? Right? It's, it's, I'm struggling. You, you with me? I'm struggling with the very thing that I just taught in the point before. Because hey, that's what, there's times, right? There's the, the arrogance of our humanity. And so at some point, I just said, you know what? If I'm not supposed to use that, I'm just going to keep reading the story until I find it. So I read it over and over and over and over 
again. And then in 28, verse 11 to 14, something stirred in my heart. It was three months after the shipwreck that we set sail on another ship that had wintered. Mine 28? Yes. And our first stop was in Syracuse, where we stayed there for three days. And from there, we sailed across. All right, this is not the right one. Let me give you the... I got my notes wrong here. Hold on. Give me a minute. Give me a minute. All right, I'm not going to be able to find it, but I know the story. Let me tell it to you. It's, 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 where, it's where Julius makes a decision. As I'm reading the story, it's where Julius makes the decision to allow Paul to go ashore by himself, unguarded, to visit his friends. Right? It, his, his job is to make sure that Paul doesn't escape. This is his job. This is his profession. Now, what person who's tasked with making sure someone doesn't escape sets them free and trusts that they're going to come back? Who does that? Julius does it. Because something inside of him we see in this moment, there is a courage for generosity. As I was reading this story, I had such a sense as the Holy Spirit says, Fred, you see, you see the great moment of courage as a sword and a clenched fist standing in between the innocent and danger. Now, that is courage. But what God is saying is there is a deeper kind of courage. And the deeper kind of courage is what makes the other possible. And that's that Christian character begins to form in our lives where virtue and character enables us to do things that sometimes the world looking on the outside looks at and says is foolishness. You see, I believe that when Julius stepped into that moment of generosity, he taught us something of what Paul's trying to help us to understand about destiny moments. See, this third discipline to living life on purpose is to be courageous. When everyone else around you is taking the easy way out, when everyone else around you is cheating on tests and copying homework, lying on time cards, padding their expense accounts, being unfaithful in romantic relationships and betraying the confidence of friends, you be courageous. God's destiny always requires courage. Courage of a generous heart, of the character of Christ formed in us. You know, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about church conflict, we talked about this idea of walking together in disagreement instead of standing in conflict. This is part, right? This is this idea of cancel culture that's so much, a, so much a part of the world. What I would say to young people, do not get caught up in that. Do not get caught up in that. The character of Christ bears the fruit of a generous heart, and it takes great courage to stand against the tide. But I'm telling you, it's a discipline that you're going to need or you will miss the wide open doors of purpose that are waiting for you. Our fourth and our last one is this, is be strong, is be strong. Now, now this one is connected to Christian character too, but you're going to see it's a little bit different. Be strong. One of my favorite things to watch when we're on vacation and we're just flipping through the channels and I'm just trying to right, just disengage and disconnect from the stress of life. Whenever I come across the world's strongest man competitions, I'm just locked in for a couple hours, right? Anybody else with me there? 
men pulling buses, lifting these huge stones, carrying heavy things. That picture and that image is what Paul is describing when he says, be strong. This word literally means power. It means vigor. It means brawn. With an emphasis on resisting. This is important. With an emphasis on resisting. It's not so much about moving something as it is about not being moved. See, the idea of the character that that, that gives you courage, it's bravery in action. But sometimes what we're needed is not action. Sometimes it's just standing our ground and not yielding to the influence that's coming towards us. Ephesians 3.16 reads this way, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you. Here it comes with an inner strength. Same word. An inner strength through his spirit. Acts 27.3 says the next day when we docked inside and Julius was very kind. Here it is. It's it's early on in in Acts. It's Acts 27.3. Was very kind to Paul and let him go ashore to visit with his friends so they could provide for his needs. You see, this, this, this moment of generosity, not just as an example of his courage, but it's an example of his strength. You see, Christian character causes us to act, but it also causes us to resist against the influences that would cause us to do something different. Can I just tell you something that I've learned in life? The greatest strength, the most difficult brawn to build, has nothing to do with our physical bodies. It has to do with character. The hardest work that you will ever do is putting on spiritual muscle. You see, when you get to 1 Corinthians 16, 14, I don't think it's the fifth thing in the list. That's why I'm only giving you four. I think the fifth thing in the list is actually amplifying the fourth and final thing. See, because when you get to verse 14, Paul says, do everything in love. And I think Paul says that because he's trying to help us to understand the kind of strength he's talking about. Because I think when the people read that letter, they thought what I would initially think. He's talking about physical strength. But Paul's not talking about physical strength. He's talking about the strength of character, which is why he amplifies it by saying, do everything in love. The strength of character. See, this fourth and final discipline as we're wrapping up, To living life on purpose is to be strong, young people. Be strong. Put on some spiritual muscle. If you've not read our discipleship book, if you're a teenager, you're old enough to understand it, you should get it. You can get it online. It's free, a digital copy at letspraxis.com. Talks about how you build spiritual muscle in your life, the virtues of the character of Christ. You're old enough to understand it. Start now. Because you're going to need all the strength that you can muster to walk through the wide open doors for the great work that he's called you to. I close with these final verses. This is in Acts 28, 30 to 31. Acts 28, 30 to 31. I love these verses. It says, so Paul's in Rome. It says, for the next two years, Paul lived in Rome At his own expense, he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. 
You see, one of the greatest moments in this story, I believe, one of the greatest moments in this story that we see through the life of Julius is after all that he had seen happen, after all that he had seen Paul do, when they arrived in Rome, listen to me, he still turned him over to the authorities. It's powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. After all that Paul had that Paul had saved his life, you got to believe that Julius wrestled with as they were drawing near to the port that would end their journey. You know something must have stirred in him. Maybe I should set him free. Maybe I should risk my own life for this great man of God. But he didn't. He chose to do the right thing. He chose to do the right thing. And in doing the right thing, he set Paul up for the purpose that he himself had been called to. And for two long years, Paul was able to preach the gospel in that city because a man by the name of Julius, who's a, a, a relative stranger to us in Scripture, was on guard with just the simple, monotonous, perfunctory duties of his day. But someone, as we continue to study and read him, became a man who stood firm in the faith. Even though he didn't have the faith, this is what's powerful, right? He stood firm in it. Because in Romans, it tells us that the Holy Spirit writes the truth of God's Word on our hearts, even if we don't know where it comes from. We see that he was a man who was courageous, and he was a man who was strong. And because these four disciplines were operating in his life, he did not miss the wide open door of purpose for the great work that God had called him to. So Father, we pray tonight. I pray especially for the young people and the teenagers that are here watching online with us, for the young adults, whether they're live now or are watching this in weeks or years to come, I pray that something would stir inside of them tonight. Something would stir inside of them. That they would believe, that their hearts would be captured with faith, Jesus, in you. And they would have faith in you, someone, so that they can have hope in something that you've created them for a purpose. But not just one purpose, but many moments of purpose that will come together to form a destiny. And I pray for each of them right now in Jesus' name that they will be on guard, that they will stand firm in the faith, that they will be courageous, they will be courageous, and they will be strong. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. I'm going to step away, and Pastor Justin is going to come now and close our time together with a moment of communion. We know it's powerful as we have a service and we close the service where we are apart physically to celebrate communion, which serves as a powerful reminder of what unites us spiritually. Because communion reminds us that at the foot of the cross, we share common ground. That where our culture so often pulls us towards division and draws lines in the sand and uh, forms tribes, that scripture tells us that whether you're Jew or Gentile, male or female, <laughs> black or white, red or blue, we're all one in Christ. That Jesus 
takes what the world would separate and brings it together under his blood. But communion also reminds us that before we can achieve horizontal reconciliation, we have to find vertical reconciliation with God. Peace through the blood of Jesus Christ, which is why we always say when we partake in communion as a church family, you don't have to be a member of of City Life to partake. We simply ask that you can look back in your life and say that there was a moment where I made Jesus Savior, Lord, and King over my heart. And if that has never happened in your life, you can even do that online. You can click on that prayer button or you can click on the salvation moment in the chat. But no matter where you are, again, no matter when you're watching this, like, Fred said, no matter where you are in your walk with Christ, Paul says that when we take communion, we should examine ourselves, examine our hearts. So God, we offer our hearts to you again. We thank you that by the blood and the death of Jesus that we're about to celebrate, we've been justified. But we know that you're calling us to this process of sanctification and looking more like Jesus. So Holy Spirit, use this moment to remind us of the grace that flows from the cross but help it also to remind us of the life of Jesus that we're called to emulate and called to follow. Paul also says in that letter to the church in Corinth, he says, the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. And then Paul said that in the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let's partake in the cup. Jesus, we close out this service thanking you and praising you. And knowing that Paul said that when we partake in communion, we are proclaiming your death. And maybe for the world that would seem, ah, why would we proclaim your death? But we know that on the other side of that death was life and forgiveness and grace and victory and hope and everything we need in this place tonight. So God, I pray that you would give us that reminder that goes with us, that you're with us, you're in us, your goodness and your mercy follow us, your grace covers us. But Jesus, I pray that we would set our eyes on you. You are the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray that what you perfected, we would emulate, (laughs) that we would be intentional, that we would uh, uh, set our eyes on you and not be distracted, not be derailed, but follow you with our hearts and our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. We want to thank you for joining us. We love you guys. We will be online again next week, but I look forward to seeing your names in that chat. We love you. God bless.